folks, welcome to our Jet Centra podcast. I'm sports editor Steve Lyons. I'm here with our columnist Mike McIntyre. This is episode 18 of our podcast, Mike. I'm, as usual, in my office here on Mountain Avenue, and you, as usual, are on your driveway in your car somewhere in the city. We've yet to pin that down exactly. (laughs) And we won't. No, it's a beautiful sunny day out there. We were chatting a little bit about the weather. Uh, we're hoping that uh, spring is almost here. All we need is somebody to turn on the heat. Yeah, and you and I have holidays coming up later this month, Steve, so maybe Mother Nature will uh, will do us a solid and give us a little warmth. We had that one nice day last week where I think it was like 23, 23 degrees. I mean, that was beautiful. And then it kind of retreated back into the, the low teens. And what's with it at night? I mean, it's going down into the deep into the minuses. I hope you haven't planted your tomatoes yet, Steve. Have you? Do you plant no, tomatoes? I, I don't plant tomatoes generally, Mike, but I'm actually considering it this year. I used to be a quite an avid gardener. Um, not so much vegetables, but flowers and perennials and shrubs and stuff like that and um, I haven't done it for a few years and typically I travel quite a bit in the spring and then in the fall and so I haven't done a lot of gardening but I'm thinking this year I might actually plant some uh, vegetables tomatoes included because it's doubtful any of us are traveling anywhere right Um, so um, but you know it's interesting uh, listeners don't know this but your favorite emoji Steve is the thumbs up emoji uh usually when i send you a daily sked i get the thumbs up um you don't want the thumbs down of course but uh you should be sending a green thumb because that would be very fitting right as a gardener maybe i should do that you know there was actually a point here uh, in my career at the free press where i was going to write a gardening column i actually wasn't then and then linda stokowski who is retired she actually became the prairie gardener and she did it instead but there was a time where we were talking about doing a guy one and a, a female one. I was, yeah, I, I, I've got, uh, but like I said, most of my knowledge is in um, annuals and perennials and shrubs right. and stuff like that. And um, well, you have you have planted deep roots at the paper. There's no doubt about it. Oh wow, nice one. <laughs> so, um, Mike, we let's get into some uh, things that are in the news. Um, yeah. So, biggest thing in the news uh right now well there's lots of i don't know if it's the biggest thing it's it's a story that um broke yesterday um some local hockey players um had a private chat going on instagram it was leaked um the comments in this private chat are a vile let's call them that they're very derogatory misogynistic racist um on and on, uh, involved in the chat are uh, two NHL players, um, Brendan Leipzig and Jack Rodevalt. Is that how you say his name? Yeah, correct. Along with um, uh, UND hockey player Jackson Keane, Bison's hockey player Jeremy Leipzig, the younger brother of uh, of Brendan, and you know, and a lot of other local hockey players. Uh, you know, I think you said there's something like ten right. players in this uh, in this chat, and um, this got out, and uh, the Capitals are investigating, the NHL is investigating, and um, 
I'd say these young men are in for a heap of trouble. They really are. Uh, I mean, Leipzig is sort of a, a fringe NHL player at this stage. He's on his fifth team in five years. He's going to be easy to make an example of, and he should be made an example of. Uh, Ronald is, is probably a minor leaguer, you know, a career minor leaguer. Uh, and the other guys, I mean, there's consequences as well. Jeremy Leipzig just got released earlier today here on Thursday. The University of Manitoba Bisons uh, punted him from their hockey program. He's He was in his second year. He had a, a decent season with them. And uh, he just got punted. I'm looking right now, Steve, as we started recording this podcast, the Bison sent me their formal statement. I won't read the whole thing, but they say leadership, respect, and integrity are core values. Uh, as a result of this situation, we have taken the action to release the student-athlete. We condemn any such remarks and attitudes as they have offensive, reprehensive, and have absolutely no place in sport or in our program. So, um, you know, there, there's going to be a whole fallout here, of course. I, I frankly don't care how these came to light. I mean, Brendan Leipzig, in his sort of apology, I guess, yesterday on Twitter, he, he said his friend's account was hacked. Uh, interestingly, though, when usually when you hear the I was hacked excuse, it's usually followed with, and I didn't say that, uh, but that wasn't the case here. Like, there's no, nobody's suggesting that these guys didn't say these things. It's just the fact that how they came to light they they actually surfaced on reddit on wednesday morning and then they they were posted on twitter and in this world of social media we live in they spread like wildfire but i frankly don't care in fact whoever exposed these in my eyes they're a bit of a hero because uh these otherwise would have gone undetected um i know there will be people sadly who say oh this is just locker room talk these guys should get a pass. This is the way hockey players talk. I even saw Matthew Barnaby, who uh, is a former NHLer. I think he does a podcast now, Steve. He, he tweeted, and this is, to me, an example of toxic hockey culture. He said, the moral of the story here is know who's in your group chat. Well, that's not the moral of the story here at all. But unfortunately, people who think that's the moral of the story... There's far too many of them, and that's why this sort of stuff is so prevalent. Yeah, you know, the locker room talk excuse um, potentially um, would apply, except for I've read the 50 screenshots, Mike, and I know you have as well. Yeah. This was beyond locker talk, a locker room talk. Um, you know, it's vile. It's, there's there's hate attached to it. Um, sure, there's it's 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 just beyond that, and so um, that's that doesn't wash anyways nowadays. But even if it was, and I'm gonna say just that, this is far beyond that. You know, these this is just terrible, terrible stuff. They made fun of. They're poking fun at you know women, uh, pregnant women, pregnant women. Yeah, like. Just, it's really, really bad stuff, and it's really a blight on. It, it, it's kind of a blight, you know, on on not only hockey players and athletes, but really the local hockey community. Oh yeah, these are young men that are kind of, you know, the key name is you know hanging in the rafters at uh, Bell MTS Place or whatever it's called nowadays. The Leipzig family, you know, is is 
is part of the hockey community. Um, you know, uh, the, the there's another fellow in the chat, Jordan, Jordan Boyd, the younger yep. brother of Dustin Boyd, um, who uh, you know played hockey. The Dustin Boyd's a really nice young man, by the way. Um, I'm not sure exactly what happened to his brother. Um, you know, so it's interesting. It's really, really, you know, an embarrassment in a lot of ways. Like, I feel embarrassed, really. Yeah. Um, well, and you and I, I mean, this is a, Winnipeg's a small community. The hockey community is a small community. You and I have been involved in the hockey community, Steve. And, I mean, to be upfront with our listeners, we know the Leipzigs, right? I mean, I, I know the family fairly well, actually, especially Greg, the dad. Um, this is not a fun story to have to write or to cover or to talk about, but it is, it's abysmal. It's atrocious. And, you know, isn't it funny, Steve, of all the things we're talking about here, there's also all kinds of discussion from mainly from Brendan Leipzig about rampant drug use and abuse that to me should be setting off alarm bells. Um, but it's not even what many people are focusing on. Now, is this a case where he's just, you know, He's, he's he's just saying things for the sake of shock value or to try and impress his buddies. I don't know, but there's all kinds of talk about his you know love of white powder and and cocaine and asking teammates for for stuff. I mean it, it's pretty alarming and you know we know that hockey has a drug problem. There's no doubt about it that's sort of bubbling beneath the surface and then you see, Comments like this, in addition to everything else, and my goodness, um, there's there's red flags everywhere. Yeah, I, I listen. I would have some sympathy, I guess, for somebody who has an addiction issue, obviously. Um, and if that was part of this, um, but I don't know that that, that 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 seems so separate from all of this other stuff. And and uh, yeah, you're you know, it's it's it's. It's disappointing to see this. I hope that, you know, I hope for all of their sakes that they're, they learn from this, I guess. Um, but man, oh man, this is a, this is a, it needs to be addressed. I'm, I'm super curious to see how the National Hockey League is going to address this. Right. How the local hockey community is going to address this. Um, I think that there's people that need to answer some questions of, how is it that these young men in our community, and it's a significant group of young men here in our community, were, are allowed to behave that way probably on a regular basis while playing for, this didn't start when they were 25. I'm going to suggest no. started at a younger age. And so what are, what are junior hockey teams? What are minor hockey teams? What are, what are the, coaches and et cetera, et cetera, doing when they hear this kind of bullshit, um, you know, or, or, or if anything, or is it truly just like, eh, they're just, they're just hockey players, you know? Right. And I mean, don't forget so many of these, these young men, they, 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 there's a sense of entitlement here. These guys have been idolized or worshiped. You know, they were the best players on their, on their peewee teams and their Bantam teams and their high school teams or whatever. Like, uh, these guys are, are the, 
the most popular of the, of the most popular, and they it's like that went to their heads, right? And they feel that they can look down on anybody. And when you see some of these shots they're taking, I mean, these are women that presumably these guys, some of these these women probably have no idea who these guys are. They're just randomly grabbing pictures off Instagram and social media and shredding these women uh, for their looks and, and, you know, in some cases making racial comments um, and and talking about conquests and they, they call them kills. Like, it's just, it's absolutely vile treating women like property, basically. And to think that that's how these guys view the other gender, that they're somehow superior and above them. It's a scary thought for sure that these guys, they have some money, some of them, they have some prestige, and it's clear that this has gone to their head and created a, a, a pretty volatile situation. Okay, we're back for the second period of our Jet Center podcast, folks. Um, Mike, uh, our Jeff Hamilton has done a couple of really good um, football stories over the last week. Uh, the first one uh, that we had in our paper last Saturday, um, I had Jeff... Uh, I nagged him for a week, really. Um, Man, if you want to hear how I nag people, you should ask Jeff Hamilton. Uh, I wanted to try to figure out how much money potentially the Bombers would lose this year if there was no CFL season, okay? Um, Randy Ambrosi has gone to government asking for uh, a bailout. Um, He's going to make that pitch, actually, to government tonight, Thursday night. Uh, But anyways... um, so I, I, I had Jeff look at some of the financials of the team for the last few years and talk to some experts and uh, some economic experts at the U of M he talked to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and Jeff did a really good job at figuring out that the Bombers potentially would lose between 5 and $10 million if there was no season at all. I don't know what other teams will lose. I was just interested in the Bombers. And so um, there's that. Then, now, I don't know why the CFL needs that amount of money, but how do you think people feel in general um, about helping the Bombers with that? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I guess from a local standpoint, the timing... Um, couldn't be better and couldn't be worse for the Bombers, right? Like, they're riding a high here, or at least they were supposed to be riding a high after winning the Great Pop, snapping the 29-year drought, all that that's been well-documented. In that sense, the Bombers have probably, they're more popular today in this community. They're on more people's minds than, say, a year ago. Imagine this a year ago when everybody was dumping on the Bombers. Um, You know, the timing would not have been very good. Of course, the timing is also terrible for the Bombers because no doubt they were poised to capitalize on that momentum. Uh, And I talked to Wade Miller back in the winter. We did a piece on just kind of riding the wave, right, and how the Bombers, you know, there was a surge in season tickets and merchandise sales were through the roof. Uh, The Bombers were a great story, and then all of a sudden there was no story. So in that sense, the timing is terrible. So I do think that there is an appetite at least locally, uh, to, to find a way to help keep the Bombers, keep the league afloat, that they are an important part. They are a, a part of the fabric of the community. What I really worry about, Steve, of course, is that 
that's not the case in a lot of these markets. And when you look at the biggest markets of all, Toronto, Vancouver, I mean, the CFL, like, get in line behind <laughs> so many other places that are, are much more prevalent on people's minds. And, uh, and the CFL probably needs those markets, right, to have a healthy league. Like, you need to have outposts in your biggest market. So it's a tough ask for sure. Uh, Jeff's story was great, and, and you know, here's the thing that, that I thought after reading Jeff's piece, the Bombers are one of the most successful, presumably profitable franchises. If that's the kind of hit they could take, my goodness, what about the teams that aren't operating nearly as efficiently as the Bombers? And maybe that's where that $150 million number comes into play. Uh, you know, when you see the Bombers 5 to 10, you got to think that that number is a lot bigger in a lot of these other markets, so... I'm not so sure, but I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a great money guy, and you could ask my banker, and he would attest to. But anyways, I think that potentially expenses and the bottom line for each team as to what they wouldn't get and what they might lose and have to still pay out. Right. You there's a lost season might be comparable. I mean, it might be a little bit more in Toronto because wages might be a little higher, but then they would be entitled to the wage subsidy program. Just like, just like the bombers would be. Sure. So, and and, and I guess the, what's that? The one thing we have found out is that the league is encouraging, um, it's players to, um, apply for the different, um, um, wage subsidies. The subsidies that are there and the league is also and the teams are applying for the wage subsidies yeah so i mean in that sense the 150 million might have been a little premature and and of course they weren't asking for all that money at once it was going to be in increments and you, you make a good point about a team like the argonauts whereas the bombers might might be losing twenty five thousand plus fans a game and all the revenue that would bring in the argos i mean they don't attract nearly that kind of crowd of course so they haven't lost those gate revenues. Uh, you know, it's a drop in the bucket for them. Um, that's not money that they were getting anyways. So, yeah, it, it, I could see it working both ways. And for the Bombers, like I said, a team that was poised to have, you know, a real celebratory season this summer, celebrating the Great Cup, being the defending champs and all that was going to come with that, all those plans now out the window, um, no doubt that, that there's a real boss that's going to be incurred by the team financially and otherwise and uh so you know I, I do think that the average sports fan out there and maybe even people that aren't hardcore sports fans do have a, a real place in their hearts for the bombers and for the cfl that being said i mean unfortunately there's so many other businesses out there right now that are hurting i just don't know that um that it's an easy sell to anybody at this stage of the game. It will be interesting to see, like you said, the, the pitches being made tonight. I mean, what is, uh, what does the prime minister say? What is the, the, the federal government? What does the CFL say? Um, and obviously there's a lot at stake here, right? I mean, Randy Ambrosi is using some pretty strong language about not just a potential lost season, but a potential lost league. Uh, another story that Jeff did and is in today's paper, there needs to be, I guess, a continued education of the sporting public that 
CFL football players are not multimillionaires, and they typically make a modest wage. Um, a lot of them make between fifty-six and sixty-five thousand dollars a season, which is a pretty good pay for six months of work. But like a lot of people, they're being laid off from their work going forward here if there is no CFL season. And so they, like all us other average Canadians who would be laid off from their work, are entitled to financial assistance through the CERB program. And many of them have applied for that. And others are working. We had a story about John Rush in the paper today. Bombers, uh, John Rush, he's working because he can. But not all of them can. Not all of them can work at the jobs that they want to work at because those jobs aren't there, et cetera, et cetera. So these are not NHL hockey players. No. The, 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 the CFL salary cap is $5.4 million for 56 players. Um, I did a little research yesterday. There's over 150 NHL players that make more than a single CFL team salary cap. So, you know, we should be fair to the CFL too. This is not, when we're talking about bailing out professional teams, bailing out professional athletes, when it comes to the CFL, it's a whole different creature. It is. And the other thing, uh, of course, Steve, is football players have among the shortest careers of any pro athletes, right? Of any of the major sports, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of these guys, uh, they're they're um, a hit away, uh, a torn cartilage or a twisted uh, knee or whatever. I mean, that, uh, from their career being over. So, you know, there's there's not a lot of comfort and security, and they're inflicting you know some damage to their body and to their brains. Uh, and their career may only last a few years anyways. And, and so, for example, to lose an entire year not only would be a financial hit for these guys, but uh, it would be devastating for players of all kinds, guys trying to prove themselves, guys hanging on by a thread. To not have anywhere to play for a year uh, is, is certainly not ideal. And so you're right. I think in that sense, a lot of Canadians can sympathize. This is not a bunch of filthy rich players and and owners kind of just asking, you know, groveling up to the trough, looking for a freebie. Uh, this really is, I, I talked to Paul Napolese last week for a different story I was working on, and he, he said this really is a mom-and-pop kind of operation. Um, so, yeah, I, I'll be curious uh, to see what happens uh, with the the ask um, with the federal government, and I don't know how quickly we're going to get an answer to their request, but I, I have to think there is some urgency here uh, to the CFL. Um, I mean, they're not folding up shop tomorrow, but no doubt they want to know kind of what the future looks like for them, short-term and long-term. Yeah, I, I, for sure. They, they, they need to know um, on a number of different levels financially. I, I One thing I will say is that I, I have not been, I'm not impressed at all by Randy Ambrosi's leadership and all of this. It's been far too secretive. It's been far too, uh, almost like suspicious. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, I just, you know, I support, listen, I've, I've been covering the CFL since I got into this business. Um, I was, you know, I, I, 
I was the Bomber beat reporter, and I've spent a lot of my career covering football. And 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 as a kid, I watched the CFL. I love the CFL, and um, you know, I sat in, 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 out in the cold and watched the CFL as a kid. And I just, you know, so I have some. I'd like to see them supported, but man, oh man, oh man, Mr. Ambrosi, like you need to tell us why you need this money, and 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 then I think that the people of Canada potentially would be supportive, you know? Yeah, there's there's a lot of things he's done that have really perplexed me. I wrote a piece last week on the CFL draft, which I thought was a bit of a dud. Um, not blaming the guys on TSN. I mean, they had to work with what they were given. And it compared, I wasn't expecting the sizzle of the NFL draft. Uh, let's start there. But there was no shots of coaches or GMs in their offices or in their war rooms, you know, at home. There was no player shots or reactions and most conspicuously steve i didn't understand why the guy that's supposed to be the face of the league the commissioner other than like a two-minute sort of introductory speech he was nowhere to be seen on the entire broadcast and and contrast that with roger goodell in the nfl who was all over he was the he was the quarterback of the whole thing i just thought it was really an odd look to, to have your commissioner kind of make a quick cameo and then not be seen again, to me, it just kind of added to the whole Bush League feel of the, of the whole process. All right, folks, we're back for the third period of our Jeff Centra podcast. Mike, I'm looking out my window here. It's a beautiful sunny day here in Manitoba. Uh, I know that it's going to be spring at some point in time, but despite the chilly temperatures and the, the cool morning on Monday morning... <laughs> Uh, golf courses opened, tennis courts. It said, well, a bunch of stuff opened. I mean, Polo Park and, and the, the, the restrictions were list, lifted uh, a little bit on Monday. And you and uh, Jason Bell uh, teed it up at uh, Kildona Park Golf Course just shortly after 9 a.m. Um, I was almost envious of you guys. <laughs> well, it was a pretty good assignment. Pretty good yeah, assignment. Uh, tell me... Uh, um, was it a lot different? Was the game much different, uh, you know, with the social distancing and all that? Yeah, it really didn't feel all that different. I mean, the, the, leaving the flag sticks in on every hole when you putt out, of course, that was that was different, and that took a little getting used to. I must admit, the first few holes, almost instinctively, I nearly went for the pin to grab it and take it out. That's just, you know, usually if the first guy on the green, if everybody's on, that's what you do. So kind of had to stop myself. Um, you know, not having uh, rates in the sand trap, which I found a couple times uh, on the course, I certainly didn't mind getting a free lift from the bunker and getting to play out of the uh, out of so, acids. Is that what they're telling you to do? So if you go into the bunker, you take a free lift out of it? They are, because, I mean, you can imagine. So there's no rates. If, if they just made you play your ball where it was, I mean, unless you're one of the first groups off of the day, uh, it'd be an absolute mess in there because nothing's getting raked. And so, I mean, you'd have almost an unplayable shot uh, by by about the midway point of the day. So, yeah, you get a free lift. Um, and, you know, the, the cups themselves, like they put a little device in the bottom of the cups so that your ball can sink right to the bottom and that, you know, you'd, you'd have to fish around. Um, it, it sort of props the ball up a bit. Like, there still is a drop, but it's just a small one. So, like, I, I don't think my fingers at all made contact with any pin 
on the day, and that's the point, right? You don't want hundreds of hands touching flag sticks or rakes or ball washers. Like, those aren't working. So I found my ball was getting pretty dirty every couple holes. It's still a little wet, especially it was only a couple degrees. There was frost in the morning. Uh, and then the traditional handshakes on the 18th green, Jay and I were paired with a couple of uh, Kildonan old-timers. Uh, these guys were absolute cutthroat with each other. Like, they're marking 18-inch cuts, Steve, and lining them up. No gimmies. Uh, they had a little bit of money on the line. But rather than shake hands uh, after we all finished on the 18th, we all just kind of touched putters. And I guess that's the new. that'll maybe be the new way of acknowledging you know, four hours kind of spent together. But, yeah, I mean, I thought it was all done in a really nice, orderly fashion. I got the sense, Steve, and just talking to some of the other players out there, it's almost like everybody knows we've kind of been given a little gift here or an opportunity, and nobody wants to be the one to screw it up. Um, so everybody is, is acting accordingly. And uh, as long as we continue to see, I guess, um, the curve remains flat. I see you this afternoon. There's no new cases. We're down to 33 active. Like, we seem to have some momentum here. Let's just, you know, keep it going, obviously. It reminded me of a, a golf memory. I'll tell a little story. Um, I was uh, in uh, San Diego. Uh, my ex-wife and I were golfing uh, a golf course there called Torrey Pines. Ah, and a uh, beautiful course, and yes. this uh, fellow and his son, and um, we enjoyed. Uh, it was you know such it was such a wonderful day and such a beautiful setting. And um, at the end of the round, we were all so I guess appreciative of the moment that for whatever reason we had this uh, this hug on the 18th, uh, <laughs> uh, like a group hug, and it was um, <laughs> it, it's a fond memory, you know. I, I, I don't think that I've hugged very much on the golf course. Um, I'll, I'll always, I guess you should be, and, and, and I probably won't for, for quite some time, A, because I don't golf anymore, and B, because even if I did, I shouldn't be hugging on the course. Um, but, um, yeah, it was a good memory. I, I have a bit of an itch to maybe go out and hit the ball, um, just because, um, I don't know, just because I, I guess I get an itch every sprint, but then it kind of goes away once I get on my bike. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, yeah, it was just nice to be able to do something um, that felt a little different. As you know, I've been doing walks every day for the last like almost two months here. And it gets a little boring. Just the same. You know, I try to change my route up a little bit. But you're just walking. like You feel a bit like a, uh, a hamster on a wheel, right? So it was nice to be able to add something else to the walk, hold a golf club, keep track of your score, you know, a little competitive fire, if you will. Um, at the end of the day, I didn't care what I shot. Uh, it was just nice to, to do Are something. You that, I shot 95. 95? And it was, a, it was an absolute legitimate 95, Steve. Like, no gimmies, nothing. Because, again, Jay and I, the guys we were playing with, like, once you see that they're marking everything, you feel like you can't just pick up a three-footer and say, oh, I'll just take my five or whatever. So, like, we we putted everything out. Uh, so, that was a legitimate 95. And, I mean, I used to shoot back when I played a lot. I could go to Kildonan and easily shoot in the mid-80s. 
Um, but again, I, I was happy with the 95. I didn't take one single swing. I hadn't picked up a club since last August. Never, never practiced on a putting green like before the round. Just went in absolutely cold and um, I tried a 95. So I was okay with that. I, I wasn't so okay with the fact that Jay showed a 94. Switching to our regular topic, Netflix, what we're watching on television. Yes. I'm, watch, I'm watching The Last Dance. Have you watching The Last Dance, Mike? I have not. My son is, and he's been telling me all about it. Uh, he's 18. He, he's loving it. Uh, how about you? For those, for those who don't know, The Last Dance is the story of the Chicago Bulls' uh, quest to win a sixth NBA championship. It centers around... Uh, you know, that final season of Jordan and Pippen and Rodman and Phil Jackson. Um, I'm really enjoying it. It's really well done. There's a lot of really good inside, honest stuff. Um, I'm really enjoying that. Um, I, I, I'm on. Uh, I really enjoy the personality and the basketball uh, ability of Dennis Rodman um, as a, as a, as a night sports editor, which I used to be, Rodman was great copy. You could, you could always count on him to do something that would put him into the newspaper, and it was always entertaining, whether it was what he did on the court or what he did off the court, even dressing up in his own uh, bridal gown and carrying yes. himself to debut a book. Um, <laughs> yeah, but Rodman's a really, in my opinion, he's a really misunderstood guy. He's a, he's a troubled guy for sure, but... Uh, you know, it was it was a great basketball player, but um, it's just a really, really well done sports documentary, and and I highly recommend it. Like, doesn't doesn't Dennis Rodman have a personal friendship with Kim Jong Un? Well, he's been to North Korea a few times. Yeah, yeah. The, the 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 dictator, let's call him that over there, is a huge basketball fan and is a Rodman fan, and <laughs> Rodman gone over there a few times to. Like as an ambassador, almost. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, whatever. Right. <laughs> Again, unlike very job. unlikely friendship. <laughs> uh, so I've been uh, I've been watching. I think I mentioned this last week on the podcast that I just started the final season of Homeland. I'm now nine of twelve episodes in. Uh, just like I did with Ozark, I have I do have some self control. I'm not a binger, or at least when I when I find something I love. I stop myself from binging it. I, I try and savor it. So uh, one episode a night, um, it's something I look forward to all day. I can't wait to watch. And it's just uh, Homeland. I know you haven't watched it. Uh, eighth and final season. It started off incredible. The first few, I'd say the first three seasons were amazing. It then started to peter off a bit. It was still really good. But I guess like any show that's had that many years, uh, it has a tough time sort of staying fresh. But this eighth and final season is just unbelievable. Every show is a big cliffhanger to the next. Uh, so I got three left. I'm going to finish it, I guess, Saturday night. Uh, episode 10 tonight, 11 on Friday, and 12 on Saturday. And I am uh, rubbing my hands uh, at the prospect of it. And a little sad that it's going to be over. Hi, folks. We're back for the overtime period of our Jet Center podcast. Uh, Mike, the, the restrictions uh, locally, uh, some of that were uh, lifted. Is that the right word? Um, I think so, yeah. Relaxed. Relaxed, relaxed I guess. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. 
on Monday they were relaxed a little bit and a couple things, uh, 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 lots of different things were open. We mentioned you went and played golf. But the other thing that sounds like you're really looking forward to is getting your glasses fixed. <laughs> and getting yeah. Again, I desperately need all three. Uh, I guess I can give myself the shave, but uh, I'm not going to be one of those, Steve, that tries a home haircut. I don't know if you've seen some of the, uh, there's tweets out there of people that have done the home haircut. And there were also some hilarious pictures in some U.S. states last week of people showing up at hair salons and barbershops like to fix what they had done to themselves or what a loved one, I guess, had done. Like, we're talking half mullets and, like, shaves that had gone horribly awry. So I'm not uh, going to attempt any of that. I actually um, was able to book an appointment with my hairdresser that is going to be, I guess, 13 days from now. Like, as you can imagine, they, there's there are protocols in place. They can't just throw the doors open and take as many customers at once. So she's booking like a couple weeks into the future. So I got a haircut set for May the 20th, which I'm very much looking forward to. I'm going to shave as well and get rid of this uh, gnarly mess on my face. And yeah, my glasses. So like five weeks ago, I'm sitting at my desk at home writing a column. As I sometimes do when I'm sort of thinking, I'll you know adjust my glasses, right? Well, this day I do that. And all of a sudden I realize I'm holding the the right arm, the one which is supposed to run behind my ears, like I'm holding it in my hand. It's completely broken off. I tried to fix it at home on my own uh, to no avail. I tried to tape it. That didn't work either. So I went to plan like B or C, which was my old prescription from like five years ago. I've been wearing those glasses now for over a month. Fortunately, my eyes didn't change a ton, but this is a lower prescription. I notice it more at night and when watching TV. So I am very much looking forward to um, getting my 2020 vision back. I don't know what I'd be at exactly right now, uh, but it's not 2020. I haven't gone to anything that opened. Um, I'm not even sure what I'm looking forward to. Um, I guess... I'm fortunate in that my girlfriend is a hairdresser, and so I was able to keep groomed uh, <laughs> for a period of time. And she uh, knows what she's doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah. She has a, actually she has a chair in her kitchen that I sat in, and the whole deal it spins around and all that or whatever. So um, I'm like, uh, I've been thinking about like what is it that I miss that I really want to go and do. Um, I'm. I'm not sure that there's anything. <laughs> Maybe um, I saw. I drove. I was driving down Corridor on my way home from work, or way home from uh, work yesterday. Yeah, and I saw a lot of people out on the patios and stuff. I don't really do that. Um, I guess it's not even patio weather. But I wouldn't mind a latte. I wouldn't mind sitting out and having a latte. Um, but uh, other than that, um, um, I guess my life has not been overly affected. Um, I guess the thing that's affected me the most is that normally I, I, I've missed two vacations. I was supposed to be in yeah. Oregon. I was supposed to be in Oregon last week uh, for a uh, adventure travel trade association conference and, and, a, and, a, and a trip around Oregon doing some things and that's been rescheduled to September. So we'll see about that. And so yeah, I'm not sure. So I think 
Maybe I'll venture out to a garden store, though, and buy some tomatoes and plants. Well, like, I'll tell you what we're looking forward to. So we've been really respecting all the suggestions, and uh, we haven't seen my parents um, other than on Zoom, or a couple times they've had to drop stuff off, so we see them, like, through the door, but they haven't been in the house, or we haven't even sat, like, in our backyard together. Um, they're still recommending, of course, no no gatherings bigger than 10, uh, but I think for Mother's Day this, this Sunday, just my mom and dad are going to come over. We're going to sit in the backyard, hopefully it's nice, and have a barbecue with the six of us, my wife and our two kids and them. Obviously, still keep it under the 10. And then the, the, the other thing I'm really looking forward to, my aunt and uncle have a beautiful backyard pool, which they're aiming to have open um, by mid to late May. And once they increase the restrictions, I think the next phase might be to 15. The idea of potentially being able to go swim in their backyard once the weather gets nice. To me, that's, uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Eating in a restaurant, you know what, even when they say you can do that, I don't know that I'll be rushing back to, to do that. I might just sort of stay at a distance for a while and keep ordering takeout. How about you? Yeah, I, I don't know that I... I, I like I love going out to eat. I really, really do. But I've also kind of enjoyed not doing it. Uh, <laughs> frankly, it's been I haven't spent a lot of money over the last six weeks. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm kind of okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have enjoyed some takeout, um, and so once in a while. But hey, I've kind of enjoyed just kind of laying low. So yeah. <laughs> Um, I do have some friends in the restaurant industry. One of my best buddies is a guy named Bobby Matola who owns uh, uh, Pizzeria Gusto and, and his restaurants. And yeah. certainly I would be out to support him as soon as I can. Um, but uh, yeah, so anyways, you have a, a great Mother's Day week. Yes, thank you. Mike, and we should let Jen go. I know I'm ready for lunch now. And I know she does too. So, yes. uh, and, uh, so we'll see you all again uh, next week for episode 19. Yes, right on. Stay safe, folks.